of Acts chapter 8. And as people are uh, filing in here, let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the time this morning to come together, uh, need to see all the different activities and Bible studies and fruit that's happening. Uh, Lord, all for you, all for your glory. I just also want to pray right now that you'd bless the time of food and fellowship in the back. Thank you for that opportunity for the body of Christ to come together. But for right here, right now, let your Holy Spirit lead and teach and guide in your name. Amen. thought we'd take a quick break from announcements and get right back into announcements. So... <laughs> Acts chapter 8 here. Hey, a couple cool things, though, you know, really neat, though. Operation Christmas Shout, absolutely love that ministry. Absolutely love it. If you've never got involved with it, prayerfully consider information there in the foyer. Uh, the upcoming apologetics, I think it's a great opportunity to get in there. Paul, excuse me, Peter said, be ready to give a defense of the gospel for what you believe. And also the run for God, what a neat thing here. People growing spiritually, also the physical, the fellowship, some neat stuff going on there. Acts chapter 8. We're going to do verses uh, 1 through 25 here this morning. Now, a little bit of background before we get into this. If you remember correctly, last week in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was martyred. And that sets in motion what's going to be happening here in Acts chapter 8. Let's just back up a little bit. Verse 59 of Acts 7, it says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, this is Saul, that next chapter, chapter 9, is going to get saved, and also known as Paul. Now, if you remember correctly, when we started our study here through the book of Acts, we said, okay, imagine you, you have not experienced church. Imagine you have not read the Bible. You knew nothing about it. You knew who Jesus Christ was, and you were saved. Amen. If you were reading this for the first time, you'd get to Acts chapter 8, chapter 7. You would see Saul mentioned. You would see him, verse 1, consenting to his death. Verse 3, making havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging them off, men and women, committing them to prison. You would think, finally, we got to the bad guy in the book. Not knowing that the next chapter, Saul is going to go through this miraculous transformation and get saved. It's amazing. We're so used to Saul getting saved, becoming Paul, it almost becomes second nature to us. No, no, no. Think about what this is. Think about what happened here. Here's a guy that's, verse 1, consenting to his death. That word can also mean voting. Basically, this idea of casting a vote for him to be put to death. He's causing havoc, verse 3. Destroying, ravaging, ruining is what it literally means. This guy was causing a lot of damage to the church. I heard a pastor say one time, don't you think that every time Paul got up to preach the gospel, the enemy whispered in his ear, how many orphans did you make? How many widows did you make? Paul talks about this a little bit. Go with me to Acts 26 real quick. When Paul gives his testimony here in Acts 26, he brings up his past. And he even gives a little bit more detail about what he was doing. Acts chapter 26. Start in verse 9, Acts 26, it says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. 
That's what this guy was. As passionate as he was for the gospel after he got saved, he was that passionate against the gospel before he got saved. I've heard many pastors over the years say, sometimes those people that are most anti-Christianity, when they finally come to know Christ, they're the ones most on fire for Jesus. Because they get it. They see. So, Paul has a past. It's whispered into his ear. He struggles, maybe. What does he say about this? One last reference before we continue on. Go with me to Philippians 3. Because some of you here this morning have a past. Some of you here this morning, the enemy whispers into your ear many different things. Some of you, it's very difficult to understand this concept of love, grace, and mercy. And I'm a new creation in the Lord. I've made past mistakes. I'm shamed by that. I'm embarrassed by that. I'm guilty of that. Paul could look you in the eye and say, yeah, I know. Now, how did Paul sum up this new life in the Lord? Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You forget those things that are behind and you move forward in Christ. Now, here's the problem. You may be able to forget, but you may be surrounded by people who won't let you forget. You can't let that control you. You are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You are a new creation in the Lord. Your citizenship is in heaven. You look up to heaven, not on this earth, and you say, Lord, I know what I was. I know what you saved me out of. God demonstrates his own love for me in this way. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And now I go proclaim that. If there's anybody here today that is struggling with the past and how can I move forward, how can I be loved, let Paul be such a witness to you that he moved forward in the upward call of Christ Jesus. And we'll get into more detail on this in a couple weeks when we get to him being actually saved. But never forget who this man was and what he became in the Lord. So Saul, Paul, is causing all these problems. And what's the result of this? Verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now note the repetition, verse 4, they were scattered. Go back to verse 1, same chapter, it says that they were scattered. Now anytime I start seeing words like that repeated, okay, Lord, what are you trying to say? Now this is where it gets interesting. I love this type of stuff. There's three different words for scattered in the New Testament. Now the problem is they are translated scattered. First word for scattered in the New Testament is you're scattered out of fear. Something scares you and you run out of fear, you're scattered. That's not what this word means. So we know that they're not running out of fear. Next one, scattered means to throw out. I don't know, imagine you have a bushel of apples, they've gone bad, you take them out to the field, you toss them in the field, you scatter them. That's not what this is talking about. This word in the Greek carries a farming connotation of sowing seed, scattering seed. So what's actually going on here as this persecution is happening, the Lord is pushing them out of Jerusalem, and it's like seeds going out and being scattered. For the gospel to go out. And that's what's happening in verse 4. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They were forced to leave Jerusalem. They were scattered. And as they did, they took the gospel message with them. Now I love this. Now let's build on this point. Go with me to James chapter 1 please. Now James is what we're doing for our small group studies. And a quick plug there. Just encourage you to prayerfully consider getting involved with those. Um, 
My wife and I have one in our house. We're not going to be meeting tomorrow. So if you're involved in our small group, remember we're picking it up here next Monday. But we have them in Signet and Milton Center, Chew and Deschler, uh, Hamler and Holgate as well. And as we're going through the book of James, look how the book of James starts. James 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are scattered abroad. Okay, same word, same meaning. Now, some people believe that James is one of the earliest epistles that were, was written, and actually maybe written at this time of Acts chapter 8, that this was written as this church has been scattered due to persecution. If that's the case, imagine being forced out of Jerusalem via persecution. Stephen has just been martyred. There's this man Saul wreaking havoc, and you have to run, you have to flee. And so you get this letter from James, finally... What's he going to tell us? You know, here we are. It's a tough time. It's a tough situation. And he tells you this, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's not a good way to get the attention of your audience. Here we are. Stephen's been martyred. We're forced to leave. We're scattered about. And the first thing you want to tell us is count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Here's the deal about being scattered. Sometimes the Lord makes us move out of our bubble. Think about this from an early church perspective. Jerusalem, that's where everybody was at. They had this great system going. They had a food pantry set up. They're sharing everything. This is where the apostles are. Yes, Stephen was just martyred. But still, it's this bubble. But did we forget what Jesus told us to do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? You don't have to turn there. But his marching commands to them were this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The church was not moving out. They were just hanging out right there. The Lord allowed this persecution, the scattering, to take the gospel and spread it. Because where do they go in Acts chapter 8? They go to Samaria and start preaching the word. I have noticed this in my life, and I've noticed this in other Christians' lives. We do everything we can to make ourselves as safe and comfortable as possible as we can. And we never want to move out of that bubble. And I believe the Lord is always gently nudging us, go, take a step of faith, step out of that bubble, go scatter the seeds. And I can only tell you this, it took me years to realize this, that those steps of faith are where you really grow in the Lord. It's when you really experience the joy, when you really walk in faith and you stop and say, Lord, there's a bigger world out here than just me. We spend so much time as believers focusing on the here and now, our calendar of commitments, when the Lord says, eternity, eternity. Take the step, see what happens, go be scattered. It's going to be good. Now, how can this be good? Stephen's martyred. People are being arrested. How is that good? Please remember this point for the rest of your life. God has a different definition of good than you do. What I determine good, the Lord may not determine good. What I determine good is a nice house and healthy children, health in my family. I live a nice long life. I die in my sleep. That's good. That may not be the Lord's definition of good. And the Bible is constantly asking us, Can we trust his definition of good? Sometimes, I shouldn't say sometimes, some of you right here right now have things going on in your life, and you say, this is not good. But it may be God's definition of good, where he says, I'm allowing this trial and tribulation to get your attention. 
James has said, count it all joy. Peter writes to us and tells us that the genuineness of your faith is tested by trials and tribulations. Paul writes in Corinthians that it's a momentary light affliction. It sure feels like it's a whole awful lot. But for right here, right now, in the whole scheme of heaven and hell and eternity, it's a momentary light affliction. He says, can you trust me? What's the result of them being scattered? Jump back to Acts chapter 8, please. Take a look at 8, verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. There is always joy when you're in God's will, doing what he's called you to do. And I just want to encourage you right now. Are you scattered right now? (laughs) Pushed out of your comfort zone? Wondering what God's definition of good is? Trust him. The Lord is good and does good. He works good in all things. Trust that and realize this may be an opportunity to go out there and really represent Jesus in ways that you've never imagined or ever thought you could. Look at what happens here. You've got verse 5. They're preaching Christ to the Samaritans. Verse 6. They're seeing miracles. Verse 7. Unclean spirits. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. It's this amazing time of ministry. There's joy. All why? Because they were scattered out of Jerusalem for the sake of the gospel. What happens next? Verse 9. But there's a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he was someone great. To whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So now we're introduced to Simon. Now, if you didn't know the Sunday school story, and maybe you haven't read Acts 8 before, It doesn't work out real good for Simon. Sorry, I'm giving away the ending right now. But at this point right here, right now, you would think this is one of the greatest testimonies in the world. Here's this guy that was into sorcery, was into magic, probably into demonic activity. He sees these miracles. Philip comes and says, be saved, and he's saved. Now, what can we learn from Simon? Take a look right here at verse 9. The people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great. Quick note. Always be leery of people claiming to be someone great. Just just be leery of that. If somebody constantly wants to tell you how great they're doing and everything that they're doing, everything like that, just be a little concerned about that. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. I'm always concerned when I see somebody trying to take the glory for themselves. We're never supposed to elevate a man or a ministry. Anytime you see signs and miracles that are happening here right now, the purpose of those signs and miracles are to point people towards Jesus Christ. Not to Philip, not to Peter, not to James, not to John, to Jesus Christ. And please remember, the people of Samaria needed these signs and miracles to validate the message. Here they are coming and talking about this guy named Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. They're like, who's Jesus of Nazareth? Well, let me tell you about Jesus of Nazareth, but not only tell you, let me show you the power of the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so therefore, when they were casting out demons in the name of Jesus, healing people in the name of Jesus, these signs and wonders pointed people towards Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the point. Never for us, but for them. And I'm always leery when I see somebody bringing the glory back to them. Don't be afraid to give a testimony of what God's done in your life. Amen. But he gets the glory. Simon wanted everybody to know he's something great. Verse 10, he loved it. People said, this man is the great power of God. Verse 11, he astonished them. He amazed them. He bewitched them. Then he gets supposedly saved. But I want you to look at a couple things here real quick. Make a mental note. Remember verse 13. 
He was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Note that word in your mind, seeing the miracles and signs. What happens next? Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They only had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now why does Peter and John have to come down and do this? Wasn't Philip capable of doing this? And why did it have to be done? Let's talk about this for a little bit. Please remember your Bible history here. The Samaritans hated by the Jews. Samaria is north of Jerusalem. Samaria is a group of people that when the ten northern tribes of Israel were defeated by Assyria, they became this mixed race of people. So they were half Gentile, half Jew, and the Jews absolutely hated them. Despised them, would not walk through Samaria. That's what's so fascinating, like in John chapter 4, when Jesus went through Samaria and preached to the woman at the well. This idea that Jesus would reach out to a Samaritan. Or remember your Bible story of the good Samaritan. Jesus here talking about a good Samaritan. When no one would ever think a Samaritan could be good. Jesus was trying to tell them here. So they were hated by the Jews. So by Peter and John coming down, it shows a, a validation here. An acceptance, an authority. That Peter and John are saying these guys can receive the gospel just like we as Jews can receive the gospel. That's a very, very important point. Note they had not received the Holy Spirit as of yet. Does this mean they weren't saved? Please remember our Holy Spirit words. We have with the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit being upon you. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit is with you and in you. That's an amazing thing. So when you get saved, your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's a whole other level, the Bible says. It says this back in Acts chapter 1. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the deal. Most people just like being saved. The Holy Spirit's with me. I like that. I like that comfort and peace he brings. The Holy Spirit's in me. I like that. I like that idea of being a temple of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. The Holy Spirit is with me and in me. But there's a whole other level of the Holy Spirit being upon you. Yeah, but that's where it starts to sound a little strange to me. I'll take with me, I'll take in me, but I don't want upon me. Well, what happens is, when the Holy Spirit's upon you, that's when you realize... It's not about me. See, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is where you reach a point where you stop and you say, it's not about me. It's not about me living my life. It's not about me making myself comfortable. I I am sent here from the Lord to represent Jesus Christ and all that I do and all that I say. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm a foreigner, the Bible says. And so therefore, Lord, I want everything you have to offer. You know, when we went through Galatians, we talked about die, deny, and disappear. I die to who I am. I deny who I am. I disappear into Jesus, and it's just all Him. And I stop and I say, Lord, I I want what you want. I want you to lead me and guide me in every way. And all that I do and say, I want the Holy Spirit upon me. Not just with me, not just in me, but upon me. And so by Peter and John coming down, it showed an authority. It showed an acceptance. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16. He gave the keys to Peter, saying, Peter, you're going to play a role in this gospel message going out. And you see that happening right here. So here now the Samaritans can be saved. It's an absolutely amazing thing. But now we get to the main point of the message. Verse 18. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. See, now we get to a little bit more background into who Simon is. Did you catch this in verse 18? When Simon saw 
See, verse 13, why did he want to be with Philip? Because he saw the amazing miracles. Now in verse 18, he now saw the power of the Holy Spirit. Simon, the sorcerer, the magician, says, this is the greatest magic trick I've ever seen. I want this. How much money for that trick? So that way I can go lay hands on people. They can receive the Holy Spirit. I can cast out demons. I, I, I can do this with the healings and the paralyzed man. This would be the greatest show ever. I want it. And give me this power, verse 19, and I'll pay for it. Peter, very wisely in verse 20, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. Now, we don't think that today, right? We don't think we can purchase the gift of God with money, but you know what we do? We like certain gift of God's that we want. And so we make our little list. Okay, we're just a couple months away from Christmas, which is kind of crazy. So you're going to have to be asked to make Christmas lists. And you're going to make this Christmas list. You're going to hand out this Christmas list to your friends and your family. And these are things that you want. Now, you've got this one aunt that doesn't follow your Christmas list. She just won't. She's going to buy you the strangest, weirdest gift you've ever seen. And she's going to say, I was walking through the store, saw this gift, and I thought it just screamed of you. And you're going to say, no, it just screams. It does nothing to do with me. And you're going to get this gift. You're going to open this gift. And you're going to put a smile on your face. And you're going to say, what am I supposed to do with this? There's gifts that I want. Same thing happens spiritually. We go through the list of the gifts. We go through Ephesians and read the gifts. We go to 1 Corinthians 11 and 12. We go to Romans and we read all the gifts and we say, Okay, Lord, uh, this is what I want to be. I want to be a pastor teacher. But maybe that's not where you're called. But I want the pastor teacher because that's what you get to do. You get to stand in front of everybody and everybody looks at you. That's what I want. And instead I didn't get pastor teacher. I got ministry. So my gift is clogged toilets. That's what I got. So, okay, I didn't get that one. Okay, so now I want the gift of, well, look at these fun ones. Healings, tongues, that's fun. That's exciting. It's exotic. People can see that. Nope, I got the gift of encouragement. I do hospital visits. The problem is we like to pick our gifts. And what do you see right here? Peter says, you can't. You are a born-again, Holy Spirit-led individual. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and therefore the Lord will give you the gifts that are needed at that time. And so I highly encourage you to go read in Ephesians and Romans and 1 Corinthians. Read the list of the gifts and say, Lord, what have you called me to do? The Bible says that every single one of us has been given a measure of a gift, a grace. And you may be saying, James, I don't even know what my gift is. And what a great assignment this week. To go home and pray over that and say, Lord, where have you called me to serve? And realize I don't get to choose. The Lord says, this is what is needed at this moment, at this time, to go serve the body of Christ, to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what an amazing thing that is. I highly encourage you to do that. You have been born again and saved, and therefore the Holy Spirit lives inside in you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And let's have the Holy Spirit be upon us and go do something about this and representing Jesus in all that we do and all that we say. We don't just need more people just to come and fill seats. We have enough people to fill seats. But we need as people to go out there and represent Jesus Christ in all that we do and say. That's the goal. Let's equip you to go do that. So Simon wants this. We're seeing his heart revealed. He saw it in verse 13. He saw it in verse 18. I want this. I will pay for this. Verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. 
Listen, we could spend the rest of the day here debating whether Simon was saved or not saved. And really what it comes down to is this. He saw the miracles of God. He wanted to buy the miracles of God. Peter himself said in verse 21, You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Yes, it's said that Simon believed, but you know what? James chapter 2 verse 19 tells me that even Satan and the demons believe. Same word. There are no atheists in hell. Please remember that. Satan is not an atheist. Demons are not atheists. We must remember these points. So this guy says he believed, but yet his heart is revealed to be bound by iniquity and poisoned by bitterness. Those are some pretty tough words. Have you ever seen somebody poisoned by bitterness? It is awful. Absolutely awful. They have lost the joy of the Lord. They've lost peace. Their whole world is just bitter. What are they bitter about? They're bitter about, I don't know, failed relationships, lost opportunities at work, marriage problems, kid problems, ministry problems, and they walk around and they're supposed to be representing the love, joy, and peace of the Lord, and there's just a bitterness. This is why in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says we're supposed to rip out the root of bitterness. Root, below the surface. See, most of us can fake it here for about an hour on Sunday. We won't look bitter. But there's a root underneath. And we can put a fake smile on. We can shake people's hands. God says, I want to get below the surface. What's the root of bitterness in your life that needs to be ripped out of the ground? What has bound you by iniquity? Verse 23. Is there a sin in your life that has just completely enslaved you? The Lord says, I I want to set you free from that. Now, once again, we may never see that. We are so good at putting on the face that we want people to see. And as we get older in life, it becomes so much easier to learn how to hide it and how to fake it. And so as long as I look good for an hour on Sunday, and if I have a small interaction with somebody from church during the week for just a few minutes, that's all I got to do. The rest of my week, I am what? Poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. But the rest of the week, I can just move on with life and pretend everything's fine. The Lord says, no, I want your heart. Peter is saying to Simon, I want your heart. God wants your heart to be right, and it's not right right now. Quick story on this, of being bound by iniquity. I had a situation this week at the Irvin house. We walked into the kitchen, and there were uh, stamps in our kitchen on the uh, drawers, etc. When I say stamps, I mean like postage stamps. So our kitchen was very patriotic. We had American flags, you know, on the... And so we grabbed the boys and said, okay, I don't think you guys realize this. These stamps are like 50 bucks a piece. We have to like take out a second mortgage to mail a letter. So they're not just cute little American flags. They're, they cost money. So which one of you put the stamps on? Just tell us, life lesson, don't do it again. N- no one did it. So I thought, well, why would Dawn do this? This makes no sense. <laughs> So, Dawn didn't do it. I'm pretty sure I didn't do it. And so, now there's five. So, I let the oldest three go. Okay, Elias, Judah, Kenan, I'm pretty sure you know not to put stamps on the kitchen. So, we're down to the last two. Okay, guys, which one of you did it? No harm, no foul, just tell us. Then all of a sudden, I didn't, I didn't. So, now we're to a whole other issue. Now it's not even about the stamps. Now we're into lying. So, neither one did it. Neither one claimed they did it. So what do we do? So the only thing I thought of is Solomon. It's time to cut the baby in half. So I said, and maybe this isn't the best parenting, I said, okay, I'm just going to have to discipline both of you because I don't know which one's true. And this is what we do. I say, I'm going to leave. And I say, listen, guys, I'm giving you a moment. You go to the Lord. You spend time in prayer. You talk it out and get to the bottom of this because you don't want me to get to the bottom of this. 
So I leave, come back, and the one says, I think I did it. And I said, you think you did it? And he goes, yeah, I think I did it. I said, you think? He goes, I probably did. I said, you probably did. And this goes on for a while. I think I did it. I probably did it. I don't know. Maybe I did it. And I'm like, what? You think? Probably. Maybe. I know. So I let the other one go, and I were down to the one. And I said, okay, you think you did it? I probably did it. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I did it, Dad. I don't know. And I'm thinking, okay, you either know whether you did or didn't. And I had a check in my spirit. So I, I left, and I called back the other boy that was one of the two finalists. And I said, I said, I just want to share with you. I asked one more time, did you do this? No, I didn't do it. So you're saying the other one did it. Yep, the other one did it. I said, I just want to share with you two verses. I said, Leviticus 19.11 says, do not lie. And the other one I shared with him says, be sure that your sin will find you out. So the one boy that said he didn't do it looked down and said, Dad, I did it. I said, you did it. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, I, I did it. And I said, why are you telling me now? And he goes, because as soon as you said, be sure that your sin will find you out, he goes, my heart hurt. And I thought, that's the way... You still got in trouble, guys. Um, <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. You can like, oh. <laughs> he put stamps on. He lied. And he was letting another one take the punishment. This is not an oh moment, okay? <laughs> what type of parents are you? So, but it's that conviction of the Holy Spirit. My heart hurt. And... I think what happens is, as we go wiser in our walk with the Lord, go deeper in our walk with the Lord, my heart hurts, but I've learned to ignore it. My heart hurts, and I've learned to let it go, because by golly, that's a lot of fun. And I see Simon right here, your heart is bound by iniquity. You are enslaved, Simon. So what's Simon's great response? Verse 24, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. There's no repentance there. Just pray it doesn't happen. Pray I don't get in trouble. Pray the punishment's not severe. His heart's still not right. And how often is that? Okay, I got caught. I'm bound by iniquity. I get it. I am poisoned by bitterness. I get it. I'm wrong. Could you just pray that I can get over this real quick? Can you just pray it goes really well? No, how about I repent and I confess and I forsake and then I fall in the loving arms of the Lord as grace, and I'm broken. But yet, how often we just say, pray that nothing happens to me. This is what I want to finish with. Can you go with me to 1 Timothy 1? 1 Timothy 1. As you're going to 1 Timothy 1, they leave Samaria, verse 25, so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. What a blessing. They go, lay hands, receive the Holy Spirit, and as they're going back to Jerusalem, they take the gospel with them and keep spreading it and sharing it. First Timothy 1. I just want to do a one verse here. Something I was reading in devotions a while ago, and I, it just really hit me. We talked a lot this service about being real. Not fake, not faking it, not just wanting it, but truly stopping and saying, Lord, What's my relationship with Christ look like? I'm going to do the first couple of verses to set up with the context. Take a look here at 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which causes disputes rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. Here's what I want, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Look at those three words. Pure, good, good sincere see this is the heart that he wants 
He's not looking for your outward obedience. He's not looking for you to show up at church on Sunday. He's not looking for you to do a bunch of devotions, serve in the back, do whatever. He says, I want your heart. Because once he has your heart, all those other things will come into place. How's our heart? Is it pure, good, and sincere? See, that word sincere literally means unhypocritical. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite literally means two-faced. So you see the one side of me at church, you see the other side of me in the world, and just hope they never meet. God's saying, I want to be done with that. I want you to be real in all that you do. I want your heart to be pure. I want your conscience to be good. And I want your faith to be sincere. And as we look at Simon, we didn't see that. We saw a lot of outside good. We saw an outside baptism. We saw an outside confession of faith. But did we have a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith? And what I want to close with is this. How is your heart? Is it that? Is it pure? Is it good? Is it sincere? If not, today is the day to say, Lord, I am bound by iniquity. I am poisoned by bitterness, and I want this to be done. Today is the day to say, Lord, I I want this to be different. And what a blessing it is to be set free. Just to be set free. Because your heart hurts from that. Worship team, if you want to come forward. You guys are all welcome to stick around here for the uh, potluck in the back. Uh, Harvest party should be a lot of fun and blessing. I'm not able to make it. My wife and I and the family have a pastor's conference over in Indiana. So we are taking off right away after church here because we've got to go home, get packed up, drop some kids off, and get going here. Um, But with that being said, if you've got something you want to pray about, I can stick around for that because I believe this is important, the pure, the sincere, and the good. I, I want you to have that. Um, so enjoy the potluck back there. I hope it's a blessing. If you caught it, we already prayed over the food at the beginning. I've learned with you guys, you guys don't care about praying over food at potlucks. So you're covered. Amen. <laughs> but if you've got something you want to pray about, today is the day to say, I don't want to be bound by iniquity and I don't want to be poisoned by bitterness. I cannot stress that to you enough. Be set free. Be set free. We'll go over the worship team here for the final song. I appreciate prayer for my wife and I. We're taking five boys. Like I said, we're going to be gone for a couple days. I'll be back for church Wednesday night. But uh, just pray it's a time to learn and grow as well, too. So you guys have a good week, and God bless.